Welcome, everybody. It's time for another episode of Asher Sales Sense, brought to you by Asher Strategies, the only global sales training company that integrates leading sales methodologies and the latest neuroscience studies into a simple and repeatable, that's the key, simple and repeatable 10-step process for sales success. Thank you, Paul. Paul is our announcer for Asher Sales Sense, and I'm Dave Potts in the Asher Strategies studio in Washington, D.C. Our host today is Kyla O'Connell, Senior Partner and Sales Facilitator at Asher Strategies. Kyla's guest is Steve Johnson, Senior Sales Trainer and Facilitator for Asher and President of SBS Consulting, providing business process management and leadership expertise. The title of the show is The Five Most Common Mistakes in Sales. Kyla, over to you. Thank you, Dave, and welcome, Steve. We're so happy to talk with you today. Great to be with you, Kyla. I'm really happy that you're here, Steve, and sharing your wisdom with our listeners. You have been such an amazing mentor to me over my career and excited to bring your your wisdom and guidance to our listeners. Let's just dive in. So, Steve, how did you go from a successful military career to a successful commercial industry career to your now almost 20-year career in sales training with Azure? Well, a lot of people don't realize how much a military officer's career is in training because in peacetime, your legacy is the people you train. In wartime, obviously, it's uh, how many targets you hit and engage. But in peacetime, it's the people you train. And John and I were colleagues in the Navy, so when he asked me to join the team in 2001, it was a pretty easy transition for me. How many salespeople have you trained since then? Almost 5,000, Kyla. <laughs> wow. That's quite an impact that you've had, and I'm one of those 5,000. I think we can agree that most of our students find sales to be a lot harder than they thought it would be. Why do you think that is? Well, Kyle, I think it's for the same reason that most people find leadership situations to be challenging. Leadership is a lot more than telling people what to do, even in or maybe even especially in military situations. Leadership is about getting people engaged in the decision so they will execute it to the best of their ability to give the discretionary effort that separates average performers from great performers. As uh, General and later President Dwight Eisenhower said, Leadership is the fine art of convincing people to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. And sales is about convincing people to buy our products or services because they want them and are delighted to pay our price because of the value they receive. So selling, I believe, is really a leadership interaction. I totally agree. I believe they really need help with that vision. And once they see the vision, then it makes the whole sales process much easier. Yeah, and you don't want to be selling the Ugos. (laughs) You've got something you you can be excited about because if you can't be excited about your product or service, then you can't expect your customer to be. Exactly. So the sale is an exchange of value. They have a problem. We have a solution to their problem. They give us their problem and their treasure, and we give them our solution, and we're both delighted with the outcome. As a result, we both want to continue to do business together again soon. Yeah, so a successful sale is a win-win for the buyer and the seller. Absolutely. In fact, I don't know of any long-term successful relationship, either business or personal, where the relationship is not win-win. It's Stephen Covey's fourth habit, always think win-win. And that brings me to the first of my short list of most common salesperson mistakes, the failure to precisely define and articulate the win-win before the first sales call. So are you talking about a process issue? Right on, Kyla. 
You've heard me say before, everything in life is a process. Some processes are defined and hopefully standardized into best practices, and most are ad hoc, which means we make them up as we go along. We often have general guidelines in our minds of how we want things to go, but we don't follow it consistently, so the process changes randomly as we go along. The best performers in every field of endeavor, from sports to science to selling, that define their processes and consciously strive to execute them exactly the same way every time, kind of unlike my golf swing. <laughs> you think, of the, think of the scientific method we all learned at junior high school science. It's a best right. process. If it's not followed, you get bad science. Most salespeople, especially in small and medium-sized businesses, don't qualify their suspects well. And as a mm. result, they waste time on low-probability opportunities. And qualification yeah. is, is really a marketing function, not a sales function. But the majority of businesses look at marketing as just branding and advertising. Don't include the tactical marketing function of qualifying leads for salespeople. So most salespeople so, have to do prospecting and qualifying on their own, and they don't do it well. I'm sorry, Card. Go ahead. You're absolutely right. I'm sorry. I got a little excited because working in organizations in tandem with salespeople in my coaching work. I see this all the time where they're putting all of the prospecting and what you would refer to and I do as well, the tactical marketing on the salespeople. And I always yep. put a, a mirror to some marketing. I said, this is actually your function. Let's get your process better to help uh, generate qualified leads for the salespeople that I'm training for the rest of the process. But let's dive into qualifying a bit. So help us understand the best practices for qualifying. At the highest level, and I always like the processes to be high level at the top, obviously that makes sense, but it's amazing how many people get into the details of processes. It really boils down to a simple set of concepts that are really articulated in, in only uh, 10 words. Zig Ziglar called him his five no's. And Ziglar said that if a sale was not made, it was almost always because of one of the five no's. The first four of these are the qualification questions. No need no desire, no money, or no hurry. But we have to understand our customers and their business before we can define their needs. That takes research. And average salespeople don't take the time for that. I'm sure you've seen that in, in some of your sales training uh, efforts. Absolutely. Few businesses can be all things to all people. And good companies and great salespeople know their niche and their ideal customers intimately. They also know the solutions offered by their competition so they can quickly determine if a prospect is a good fit and how to differentiate what they're selling from the competition. If there's no need or no differentiation and we can't articulate the need, then we don't have a prospect. We have a disqualified suspect. Very well put. If the need is already being addressed by a qualified competitor, we're probably wasting our time trying to unseat that competitor Unless we have something unique or a huge value improvement, like 15% or more in some key metric, if that's the case, we'd probably better off not pursuing them. It's a waste of our time. So we turn them over to marketing and go on to the next qualified priority on our prospect list. If there's no need, then desire to replace need. Ask my wife. She wants to know why I need four guitars. <laughs> I don't need another one, but I, there's one I'm lusting after. That's especially true in business to consumer sales. In business to business sales, most businesses, especially in the current economy, have more needs than they have capital and don't spend a lot of money on luxuries. Every salespeople knows the customer has to have money in order to, for them to be successful. 
what some people believe is that everyone who has money is a prospect, and we both know that's not true. And if we successfully sell to a prospect that has money but doesn't have a need, then we're setting ourselves up to have a burn victim in our client base, and that's not good for our future. So we're better off passing on those opportunities. And actually, as a quick sidelight, if you qualify a prospect and get into the sales cycle and then discover they don't have a need you can address, you're much better off selling them that and even recommending the right solution to any of their needs you've discovered, even if you don't offer it. It's called giving away the sale. It's one of the most powerful relationship-building tools a salesperson has because it shows the customer you really do have their better interests at heart. And, and you become that trusted advisor. Exactly. Right? <laughs> That's exactly what you want to do to, uh, to, to get them because the relationship tomorrow is way more important than the sale today. And finally, there's hurry. Obviously, the more urgent the need, the higher probability of our near-term sales success. And if there's no hurry to get the problem solved, then again, in the current economy, the uh, higher urgent needs will be addressed before we can sell our solution to them. So which means really addresses prioritization of opportunities, which is another part of the qualification process that most average salespeople don't do enough of, which is to focus on a few top prospects. That's another common mistake, but not one of my top five. Right. I see that a lot, too, where um, when I'm Ask what prospects are you pursuing? What targets are you pursuing? And I'll see hundreds. And I'm like, okay, there's no way that you're being thoughtful enough at the elite yeah, level. Prospect any of these well. You have to narrow it down to a few. Absolutely. And we actually have a formula in our training that, that helps people define how much time they spend selling and how many contacts they need to make over what period of time so they know whether they're pursuing three uh, or or 30. I don't really right. know anybody who can do much, many more than that in almost anything unless they're telemarketing, and then I don't want to be in that business either. <laughs> Isla, it's what time it? to take yeah. a quick commercial break. And let's do that break to remind you that over 200 correlation studies show that natural aptitude is the most significant factor in predicting sales success. That's right, natural aptitude. Asher's Advanced Personality Questionnaire, the APQ as they call it, consistently identifies peak performers in outside sales, inside sales, sales management, customer support, and 17 other business positions. If you want to find out how to find the winners and choose the right people, go to asherstrategies.com or call 866-833-9941. That's Asher Strategies at 866-833-9941. And now back to our show. We've been speaking with Steve Johnson about the five most common mistakes in sales. Now back to Kyle and Steve. So, Steve, what is the second most common mistake you see? It's wasting time selling to non-decision makers and buyers. Because mm. we haven't qualified and done our research, we don't know who the buyers really are. And average salespeople tend to want to sell to the first person they can get in front of. I'm not the only one in our audience who's gotten to the close and heard, that sounds great, Steve, but I'm not the decision maker here. <laughs> so the qualification process determines who the economic, technical, and user buyers are and has a plan to get in front of all of them. Right. What about number three? Where do we go then? And where's the third one? The fifth no, and Zig Ziglar's five no's, is no trust. And mm -hmm. the failure to intentionally address the issue of trust is my third most common mistake. The lack of trust kills more sales than any other reason. 
by a large margin. And top salespeople know they develop trust two ways. First, you have to have business and personal credibility. You know your market, mm-hmm. your product and service, the potential customer products and service, all the stuff about the opportunity. You're an expert on what the solutions are in the industry and how you're going to solve the problem. I think all of us have had a case where we were talking to a salesperson and we realized that we knew more about the product than they did. And as a result, we didn't buy from them. Right. Uh, the second aspect of trust is personal trust. It's somebody you want to do business with. There are 10% of the people in the world who will buy from somebody they think is a jerk because it's a best value kind of uh, situation. But 90% of the rest of us want to feel like the person we're buying from is somebody we want to be successful because we know mm-hmm. they're going to be more successful if we buy from them and we don't want a jerk to be successful. And so we go somewhere else. <laughs> totally true. And then the way we have to do that in sales is to build rapport with the customer, make a good first impression and build rapport. Right. And we, we dive into that pretty heavily with the uh, data behind the neuroscience and, and how quickly that decision is made, whether someone likes this or not. So it's instinctive. Yeah, and so they show us whether they like us or not with their body language, which we also train on. Right. What if you can't build rapport or the process won't let you? Uh, that's really becoming more common, Kyla, especially in business to government sales and in sales to large companies. The new discoveries in brain science, which we teach in our seminars, have resulted in customers training their buyers not to allow any rapport building because they've learned the power of the emotional connection that develops during those conversations. So top salespeople are prepared for something like, I don't have time for a conversation, tell me what you got, or some other way to cut off rapport building. And top salespeople have a powerful credibility building statement as a segue to a well-planned business conversation around the need mm-hmm. that will help the rapport and trust we need develop during the sale, even without preliminary rapport building. And tell us a little bit about that conversation. Well, that leads to my fourth most common mistake, and that is slipping directly into transmit mode at the first opportunity or when invited to. It's reflected in Stephen Covey's fifth habit, which is seek first to understand and then to be understood, or the old sales adage, selling, telling, asking is. We need to have a conversation about the problem before we offer the solutions. It's part of the trust issue. Anything that comes out of my mouth, any declarative statement that comes out of my mouth is part of the sales engagement is just my opinion. And the uh, buyer won't buy it. What comes out of the customer's mouth is to them the gospel truth because they always believe themselves. So if we can come to agreement on the problem based on their words, we are building rapport and trust the whole time. And we have a module in our sales seminar where we learn how to be the perfect listener. In my mind, that's the most important skill we teach. And practicing it. It goes back to process and practicing that process. Well, that brings me to my fifth most common mistake, Kyla. Good job. (laughs) Nice segue. I'm amazed by the routine failure of inexperienced and experienced salespeople to be fully prepared and practiced before they, they meet with a prospect. It's like putting on a play without having a rehearsal. Uh, We uh, know from numerous studies, for example, that if we get one or two objections after we present our solution, the customer is engaged and we have a very high probability of getting the sale if we can overcome those objections. It's amazing how few organizations have taken the time to write down all the objections that their salespeople have commonly gotten and then formulating succinct and powerful responses that all the salespeople practice and use in their sales. I am really integrated with our customers who uh, engage in our coaching process and helping them fine-tune 
the scripts. And I said, I'm not a, I don't want it to sound like a script, but I want you to memorize it like a script. And then like an actor, take that. Now you don't have to worry about what you're saying. Now you can really focus on the delivery of it. And that really gives them a powerful position in front of the customer because they're prepared for those common objections. Exactly. And we are on stage as soon as we walk through the door. We don't want to be like a high school actor who reciting reading lines. <laughs> right. We want to sound like Meryl Streep winning an Academy Award, who is reading, reciting a line in a way that makes everybody believe that she's actually feeling that right then. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm out there helping our clients do this, Steve. What can companies do to help their salespeople produce better results? They can do real play. Uh, they can uh, polish techniques and skills in a safe place. And I'm not talking about the role plays where one person plays the buyer from hell in a made-up scenario. I'm talking about one person playing the role of the real buyer and a real opportunity and being at least neutral. And the real salesperson who is chasing the opportunity playing themselves. And it's the only way I know how to do effective sales practice and coaching is actually saying the words just like a speech. If you haven't practiced ahead of time, it sounds awful. But make your vocal cords vibrate and practice your phrasing and your timing, and you'll be practicing in a safe place instead of practicing on your audience, which is the customer, and the customers don't like to be practiced upon. No, that never works out. I refer to this with competency models and competency stages, and I go through different competencies of stages that people go through. And what happens is when a lot of times salespeople reach that fourth level of competency, which is unconsciously competent. And for our listeners, think about how you drive a car. You get in your car and you go. You don't think about it. You just do it. That's that's the stage of competency. Um, and I challenge our salespeople, don't get stuck there. That's complacent, right? We, we can get stuck being complacent in that stage and just wing it in front of our customers. And instead, you want to imagine if you get in your car and you're driving in a foot of snow, how you handle and attack that skill is a lot different than if there's no snow. And that's how I want you to attack being in front of your customer with that level of awareness. Even if you've already been through this process a million times in your career, you still address it and approach it with the same level of awareness and focus like it's your first or that you're licensing, like you're totally locked in and um, you can't just, you can't just wing it. Where can people learn more, Steve? The first thing that people should do, I think, is be accountable. If I'm a sales manager, I have to look in the mirror and admit, or a CEO, and admit that my team has been perfectly selected, trained, and coached to achieve exactly the results they're achieving. And I would have to do something differently to get better results. Recognize the mistakes and uh, others you could learn in sales training. Build processes and best practice structures around them. Insist everybody follows the processes. Again, I'm not talking about real detailed stuff. I'm talking stuff, well, like it's an airplane pilot. He uses a checklist for everything and religiously follows them. But no checklist tries to tell him how to fly the airplane. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I do a better job of selecting my employees making sure they mm-hmm. have the values to be on our bus and that they're going to be a positive for our culture and then making sure they have the uh, aptitudes and capacity to be successful in the careers they're assigned. Skills can come next. We need skills are part of the things we can give to people, right people in the right seats, 
and knowledge and training that they need to be an expert in their industry. And I would test them. I was amazed at how many people, few people give tests, written exams, mm-hmm. oral exams mm-hmm. in real play, product knowledge, marketing messages, standard responses, etc. And I would have them practice, practice, practice. And you got to make that practice fun. You can't by laugh when somebody makes a mistake and reset and go forward. And then focus right. on results. And finally, I need to understand my employees' why so I can have a conversation with them about how the company, the team, and the individual can be successful together. It's really addressing Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of poor teams and his four obsessions of great teams. Kyla, it's time for the wrap-up. Thank you. See, I'm still learning from you, Steve. I love how succinctly you described how sales managers really need to show up for their teams. And it goes from selection, of course, getting the people with the right aptitude and values, and then the training with regard to product knowledge and skills and reinforcing that training. You can't just give it to them once and expect that they have it. And then the employees, why? And I think that's where the coaching comes in. And that's part of the, the work that I love is really just trying to find out what motivates someone. Because as you know, it's different for everyone. One person wants a new house. One person is just trying to get their college or whatever. So just finding out what their why is and really tapping into that so they stay motivated. And then, of course, building process. Just like the pilot who has the checklist, they're there. And then they have to of course, apply the art of flying. So thank you so much, Steve, for, again, just giving all of your wisdom to us. And I'm just very, very grateful that you've been such a force sales training and mentorship in my life. And I'm thankful that you were able to give a glimpse of it today to our members and our listeners. So thank you. Well, it's a great pleasure talking with you as always, Kyla. And thank you for your kind words. There are words my mother would love to hear. Wonderful. And if some of our sales managers want to touch base with you, Steve, I know you're selectively still working a little bit with leaders. Could they reach out to you maybe on LinkedIn? They could reach out to me on LinkedIn. My email is sjohnson at asherstrategies.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today, Steve. Thank you. And thank you, Kyla and Steve. That's all the time we have for today. For our listeners, be sure to join us again next week at the same time. From now until then, John Asher reminds us to please, please get out there and sell something. Paul, take it away. You've been listening to another episode of Asher Sales Sense right here on Asher Strategies Radio. 